Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. I'm joined by Catherine Rubino. How are you today? I'm doing all right. How about you? I'm okay. Uh, It is a brisk and cold day here in the New York offices of Above the Law. It's uh, it's freezing outside. Yeah, I mean our our offices. I mean I've I like our office, but it's an older building, and I often feel that the windows um, there's lots of cold air that comes in. You know, it's one of those things where you see all those ads for like those companies are like, do you know how much energy you could save if you got all new windows? And people are like, yeah, but it costs a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, not that I own the building or anything like that, but I feel like it's pretty cold. Well, it's also an old enough building that I don't think you would save any money because this is the sort of building that decides September 30th <laughs> to turn up the heat to a constant That's 900 true. degrees and never waver, so. That is true. This, this office is usually either hot or cold. Mm-hmm. There's no comfort, and there's no in-between. Mm. Yeah, so uh, what else is going on? Well, I mean, I guess we're into the new year already. We um, starting off uh, with the second episode of the year. Yeah, so I know you had a story. No. No? No. You didn't have a story? You didn't write anything? You just are, I mean, you just are not really grasping the format of uh, this show here. Like, I, you, know, you know, I think that you're really holding on to the format that you and Ellie um, usually do when it's the two of you. But I think you just need to accept that, like, when I'm here, you know, you got to, like, snap something. You got you to gotta, gotta go with the flow, man. I mean, I just feel like sometimes there's just, you put a lot of pressure on mm. me here, and it's very difficult. And it. It's really time-consuming the way in which you make me constantly have to deal with something. It's actually time-consuming in exactly the same ways that e-discovery can sometimes Ah, be. That that was not a rough transition at all. I mean, it could have been a lot easier if I'd had some help, you know, but... (laughs) (laughs) Your life is tough, friend. (laughs) It is, just like people who do e-discovery. So today's episode is also brought to you by your rabbit, who's very mad at you and looking at you side-eye while chewing a carrot. All because you're still at the office slogging through an endless doc review project. Make better decisions, keep your pet, and work smarter with Logical, e-discovery software that gets you started in minutes. Hop on over to the website and create your free account today at logical.com forward slash ATL. That's logic with a K, C-U-L-L dot com forward slash ATL. There you go. That's a pun. Yeah. I, I even came up with the one for the next next one, but I thought this one was better. So I, oh, okay. We're, we're, well, so so next week we'll have the subpar pun. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I mean, I, I'm not. I'm sh- sorry. I was just trying to. Uh, I'm to not sure we should say it's subpar. We just. I, I just really enjoyed. I was feeling very Bugs Bunny today. I thought that this was the uh, right answer. Oh, I mean, listen, whatever, whatever floats your boat. There, friend. you know, rabbits actually exist in the wild in addition to being pets. Uh, did you know that, Catherine? I've heard things. Hmm. Mm. So what's going on here is mm. I'm trying to uh, bring up a story okay. from Catherine's past that she's not proud of. Uh, yeah, this is not my finest moment. Um, not my worst. Yeah. So uh, you were on a college campus. I was. I and, was. And you saw a rabbit. A bunny rabbit. Yeah, like a little one. It was like white. Let's slow down. So you saw a rabbit. Let's yeah. not get into specifying. So, okay. and what was your re- what was your reaction to seeing this rabbit? 
I wondered if perhaps some sorority had lost their pet rabbit Mm. because there's a bunny on campus. Right. As opposed to recognizing that rabbits are animals that exist outside of the concrete jungle of New York that you have grown up in. Sure, yes. Well, the fact that I was born and raised in New York and, and lived there, the overwhelming majority of my life is obviously a big part of what goes into making the story hilarious to you and tragic to me. Um, and most of the listeners, too. Let's not cut them out of this. They <laughs> okay, will also fair, enjoy. Fair. Uh, we were right by um, Sorority Row at this college campus, and there was a whole like line of, of sorority houses, and I just thought that a cute little bunny like that was probably a pet, not something that existed in the wild. Like yeah. if you saw like a cute little, you know, a poodle, you would probably assume that it was a lost pet. A poodle, yeah. Like because poodles are not animals that generally hang out in the wild. See, this is, I don't, do bunnies really ha- generally hang out in the yeah. wild? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really? I feel. Like squirrels. Like, yeah. No. Yes. I mean, I'm sure there are some having seen them, but like they're not as common. This as is a no squirrel. more common. This is not like no. feral cats or anything. This is they, rabbits exist. Well, I, I'm aware they exist. I no, just think in they're the generally wild, pets. Yeah, no. no. You, you think there are more more pet bunnies or wild bunnies? I would assume there are more wild, but I I guess I don't know for sure. You know what? That's uh, the, the, this is why we, we the Google knows the internet. The Google knows. Um, I just feel like the only interactions I've ever had with buddies before that incident, which was a couple of years ago now, were definitely were people that I knew who had them as pets or like in like the pet store before like it grossed me out to go into a pet store because I, you know, heard terrible things about the way a lot of them are run. Mm. Uh, I feel like that's like the only place that I would ever see a bunny, right? was like in the pet store or like visiting Amanda and Aaron because yeah. they had a pet bunny. Yeah, fair enough. Well, we don't uh, – I'm not going to bother trying to figure this out now. That can be a fun thing that people can write in if they happen to know the answer to whether or not there are more wild or domestic rabbits in the world. Yeah. But, yeah. It's super. Right. This is this is really turning into an A-plus legal podcast. Right. This is, this is content here is what we call this it in content. the business. Yeah. This is, this is scintillating content. Ah. Yeah. So, well, why don't we transition into talking about something vaguely legal? Okay. Uh, what is jumping out at you today? I don't know. Uh, you had a, an interesting story about non-equity partners. Okay. Um, I know it's kind of a hobby horse of yours um, and something that I talk about um, a lot too, um, a lot on my, my other podcast, The Jabot, which deals with questions of diversity in the law. And, you know, there's this whole set of people who get the title of partner but don't get com- compensated like their partners. Um, and there's a lot of questions about what that means, um, who gets kind of pushed off to this less than partnership. Um, I think it's a lot, uh, an easy way for firms to say that they have checked these boxes for for diversity without actually, you know, giving diverse people, candidates, a, a piece of the pie. Yeah. Um, that's definitely a thing that I think is happening. Okay, so let's, let's break this down because I think there's a lot of issues yeah. and we can take them one by one. Let's start with the issue that you've raised, diversity. Yeah. So... To take a step back to the beginning, partnership, historically, a partner meant, in a law firm, meant what you would assume the word partner would mean in any other business venture. Someone who is a part owner of the enterprise. And partners were selected among the ranks of the lawyers as people who were part owners of the firm. 
They were therefore paid not a salary per se, but a share of the firm's profits. So over the years, that model has shifted. The historic model of a series of equally sharing partners started becoming tiers of partners. These partners get more than this one, than this one, than whatever. It, in some firms, became a complete Wild West mercenary show. This partner's compensated by the committee in a way that you other partners never even need to know about based on their book. And that was definitely something we kind of hit on a little bit in right. last week's episode um, when we talked about some of our, our the mergers. dearly, de- and dearly yeah. departed law firms as well. You right. know, I think that Dewey uh, and LaBeouf had quite famously had compensation for some of their partners pretty... Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, they, these partners are paid like this. And over time, we have now developed a new system that ha- that where some firms, Kirkland and Ellis being the one that's the subject of this article, have decided instead of a different tier of senior attorney or special counsel or of counsel, as they used to call them, they now call these people partners. And by partners, they Do not don't mean, mean that they're in fact partners in the company, but they're using the terminology that clients and people, other people that they market to would view as partner without really making them a partner. And given that there's a lot of issues, the first one we'll go back to, diversity. It turns out that you know fewer people make this partnership than uh, from diverse backgrounds than, you know, people who are not of diverse backgrounds, but that reflects the industry as a whole. What's really problematic is more people of of color and women are making this tier of non-equity partner, and this isn't specific to Kirkland as much as it is to, to the, the industry, as, industry a whole. as a whole, sure. though there are some numbers in a great article. But the article that I wrote is based on an article that Roy Strom wrote for Bloomberg Law that it goes way deeper into the numbers. Sure. And so I encourage folks to look at that. But these new partners in name only, as you can call them, tend to be folks who are not making the the big leagues and tend to overrepresent diverse candidates in a way that the firm can then use to market to clients, look, we have a diverse partnership without really having a diverse partnership. Right, right. Yeah, and this is just one more of the many obstacles that diverse lawyers and women face And it was bad enough before they created a new kind of bastardized form of partnership. Which kind of gives them the PR bump without actually necessarily doing anything about it. It's the firm somewhat leveraging the goodwill of giving a promotion. Here's our partnership class. A title in promotion, a a promotion title Uh without changing their compensation. And the compensation issue, which we'll now transition to, that's problematic. These folks are still being paid as though they are what the old verbiage of special counsel would be. We're talking about paying them more than associates, sure. which at big law, high market firms is around three hundred and some thousand dollars. So these folks are making three fifty plus. Some are making upwards of five hundred thousand. That said, the amount that they are billed out at, given that they have the vaunted partner title, means that. Many of these, and this is from the article that uh, I wrote and from Roy's article, many of the Kirkland non-equity partners are bringing to the firm in billables something in the neighborhood of one and a half to two million in returnables and only getting paid between 300 and 500. 
well, that seems like a real smart business decision on the part of Kirkland. It, it certainly is. I mean, well, look, the legal industry is built on leverage, sure, right? Sure, sure. That's the whole pyramid scheme of it. There are fewer partners than there are associates, and they are yeah. billing out those yeah. associates and making more money that way. And I always said when I was a young associate that, listen, the firm doesn't want you to be here in 10 years. Now, right. Everyone cannot continue to be here in 10 years, right? The, the model is that pe- people will self-select out of the model. Right. And there there are problems with that. that uh, does, 100%. That does mean that talent – that falls short of rainmaker but above functionary is being purged from the system. Sure. It's a grist. One right? yes, and one hopes if you're a believer in that system that new law school graduates will be replacement value basically. Like the that the people you're losing are replacement value and the new folks will come in and make sure that you always have that. But that's not really true. And in particular in some practice areas. There are practice areas that aren't really revenue generating in a strict sense, but are necessary to serve the revenue generating functions of the firm. I'm thinking like ERISA. Bank Act. Yeah, like these are these are functions that are necessary to make the deal work, but that are not necessarily the lead on it. You're a not deal. getting you're getting a deal that is just the, these people, but they are necessary for some of the larger deals that they Right. They may not be able to pick up and take their clients with them. Right. But they are necessary. So it seems like they're kind of just stuck at the firm and whatever they're willing to pay them. Right. And historically these folks have been made partners. What's troubling about the new move towards this non-equity tier is you can start to see this level of talent being retained with that expertise, but then being compensated far less. Now, some people would say that makes sense because they aren't really the people bringing in the business. On the other hand, you know, they are necessary and, you know, talent, you would hope, gets compensated. And there's obviously um, a big debate about the ways in which law firms allocate credit for uh, various rainmaking functions and that, you know, if you can't have a deal without a certain department or group, maybe you shouldn't be getting all the credit for all those deals. Right. Now, an argument for a breakdown of the traditional partnership just gets the equal equity share lockstep model is that one could say that those non-rainmaking functions were more likely to miss the cut for partnership because there was no reason to share equally with them. And so they were put in that kind of mold. Now, though, I don't think that's – I think if that was the disease, the cure has turned – Worse, I think that a lot of these non-equity partners are folks who many times may well be in a position to build a business but are locked out by a tightly guarded group of people who are, you know, currently holding their partnership shares and hoping that, you know, they can, much as we said, the replacement value – they can name these people partners, build them out, get the leverage off, leverage them, and then maybe they leave and hopefully the next crew can replace them. Well, I mean, are they, they – I mean, my recollection from, from some of this data is that these folks are leaving by and large. Yeah, in particular at Kirkland. And it is important to note that Kirkland is somewhat unique in its deployment of this strategy. Other firms have these income or non-equity partners – Few people are really pushing it the way that Kirkland does and are as profitable at it as Kirkland is. I think from the article, there's a stat that Kirkland's average partner profits are around five. 
million, and that if they paid all of these non-equity partners, they would be around two, would be the average. That's not the way in which most firms with non-equity partner tiers operate. With the standard firm that operates a non-equity tier, if you were to magically divide everything out amongst everybody, they'd fall down to like 900,000. So Kirkland is unique in how profitable it gets to be with this non-equity tier. But it also means that the gap between the haves and have-nots is more, and you end up with these folks who are occupying this tier saying, I'm making 400 grand to make this firm 2 million. I'm called a partner. I need to get out of here. And the data, as Roy broke it down, shows that, no, these folks are leaving in high numbers. And with each passing year, more and more of them from each class disappear. Roughly, you know, after a couple of years, roughly half of them are left. And then it gets lower and lower after that. So, okay, if you are uh, an attorney who has recently been made, you know, it's the January partnership classes are are usually announced around now, you find yourself in an equity, a non-equity partnership, what what should your plan, what would your advice be? Like, what's the plan? How long do you have before sort of the cachet of being partner disappears and, it, and it's, you know, your lateral opportunities are, are less? And I think this is a place where it's very situational. Sure, sure. Kirkland, the old school model of, you know, eight years of being an associate and then you're up and then you're out, that model has changed at a lot of the big firms. A lot of firms are now forcing associates to work 10 years, 11 years before that partnership moment. To its credit, what Kirkland does, it still operates on a younger model and eighth years do become these kind of non-equity partners. And it just becomes kind of a weird purgatory. So a lot of these folks stick around, according to this article, because they, they are led to believe that if they really hunker down during these years that they're so highly leveraged that then three or four years down the road, maybe they will have a shot at equity. So it extends their stay a little bit. I think that if you feel you have the skills to be a partner somewhere and you get tagged with this non-equity, at most places, you should start at least entertaining your options. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you don't have portable business, you're probably not moving to another peer firm. Firms that make the kind of money that Kirkland makes, you're not going to be able to move to unless you have something that you can take with you and probably a very considerable amount that you can take with you. That doesn't mean that there aren't other homes for you. And if you feel there's any risk that you're going to end up stuck forever in a 400 grand tier, then that's the point where you go to a firm that has 50 attorneys where you can be a partner and, you know, yes, it's a smaller quality firm. Quality of life effect? Well, I don't, I don't know as though at the partner level, I mean, you somewhat control your quality of life of, as how crazy you are about loving the law. But you're going to make the money that you choose to make. You're going to end up, you know, maybe not much more than what that non-equity tier is, but you're going to be a real partner. You're going to have the freedom to try and build the practice that you want and frankly, you have the freedom to move somewhere else down the road once you build that practice. But staying a cog in a big machine just, just you're means un- you're gonna you're gonna be at the machine for a lot longer. You're yeah, and you're unlikely to build that book. Right. Uh, like right. At, at a certain point, 
If you're a special counsel at a big place, you are probably not generating clients that are portable. Right. You you may be beloved by the assistant general counsel that you work with. But they're still going to stay with the big name law firm that they've had for the last 75 years. Yeah. And so that's... Yeah. That, that's why I think it's worth it's worth always considering. It's worth always taking those calls and stuff like that. You may even if you don't move, it's worth knowing what your value is out there. Yeah, and I think that a lot of people who wind up into the big law machine haven't always taken a lot of time to consider what the next move is, right? It's you know, you've been following a playbook that has been written for years ahead of time and you're kind of following the next step and following the next step. And I think that if you find yourself in this non-equity tier is really the time to take active control of what your next step is. What do you want out of the next 10, 15, 20 years of your career? Yeah. And and that's where some real clarity moments are necessary because I feel if you're in the sort of situation where you get this golden handcuff thrown on you and told, you know, if you stick it out for four years, maybe you'll be an equity partner. It, that's Probably not, but maybe. Probably not, but maybe. And, and it's that... That's enticing to people, sure. and it can it can stunt their growth because I feel like they, you know, it, grass Maybe, you greener know, situations like double. And, yeah. and I think that like there's you know if you're stuck it around in, in big law for that long, you probably have this image of what you imagine you know the future is, and it's probably the type of a law firm that is easily recognizable, and you know your partnership at these big law firms, you probably have this like image in, of yourself, uh, which. I think that, you know, as the law is currently practiced, it just is not super realistic. Yeah. Yeah, the, that, that's a good term, is realistic. And yeah. the era of the kind of lockstep, one-tier partnership appears to be crumbling, at least yeah. outside of the, the, the super elite. And yeah, I mean, you've got to be honest with yourself. For them I guess there was a fairly recently, uh, Debevoy's announced that they were going to stick with their single-tier partnership, yep. right? Um, so that was a, that was a big deal, but it was coming straight off the heels of the um, announcement that Cleary had lost five partners uh, in a because they were not satisfied with the kind of size of the the equal pie. <laughs> I don't know as though we know exactly why they moved, but I guess that's, that's, true. that's I guess what we all assume. I guess it's certainly more been accurate. the assumption. And the reports at the time also were that their deal uh, was was going to significantly increase their compensation. Right. Yeah, and. Look, there there are going to be a couple of firms out there who are in a place where they can stick with it. Debevoy's, Cleary, Cravat. These are the sorts of places that don't need to make changes. Sure. That said, I think there's a lot of impetus on the part of some of these other firms, especially in a world where competition has gotten to where it is. Paying big to lure talent is a thing. And some people just don't get it. They continue to to adhere to beliefs about relative reputation. Right, right. And even senior attorneys where they're responsible for all their business and they say, well, I would never go to that firm and I'd be, why? They're offering you- More money. They're <laughs> offering you more money. And I, I can see it in a world where there's institutional clients, but- These are and, your clients. And these are your people. They follow you. I don't right. understand. I- Recently, on the flip side, had a situation where I saw someone who controlled their own book of business go to a firm that was 
much lower ranked as far as if you were looking at like an AMLAW ranking. Yeah. But her argument was my business is my clients, so it really doesn't matter where I go. It just matters what I'm getting. Right, as long as there's you know, you know. what they're getting and, and that there's the that kind of base level of institutional yeah. support. But that's yeah. not a super high barrier, really. Yeah. Oh, and I mean, in an era where partners are bringing associates with them, then yeah, you, and, then you really and, don't and also have an a era where you know, like things like word processing is it <laughs> is it really a thing, right. right? You know, people's use of their assistance is is changed dramatically, you know, from the early '90s or '80s or something like that. You know, yeah, I remember when I I interviewing at a when, before I went to law school, being at a, a law firm, and there was a partner who did not have a computer in his office. Well, that seems a bit. Extreme. Yeah, I mean, this is like, you know, this is not super long ago. This is the early 2000s, but they did not have a, a computer in their office because what would I need that for? Yeah. Well, are we done talking about non-equity partners? I think so. Okay, because the one, uh, just to finish up the last couple of minutes here, I'm going to complain about something that as a mm. person who writes about the news landscape is always very frustrating. Sure. In December... We wrote an article about a judge oh. who was in some hot water with bit, ethics folks because, uh, well, allegedly she was operating a a series of threesomes and orgies in her courtroom. That's not encouraged. Yeah, they, they frown, actively frowned upon. They frown on that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, and she was utilizing state funds to yeah. hire uh, orgy people. Not great. Yeah. So this. And so was, you wrote about this in December 9th, I think. Was yeah, it? something like that. So in the first week of January, or I mean, second week of January, in the second full week of January, NBC News decides to pick this story up, and I get a million and one people sending it to me, going, "Why haven't you guys talked about this?" And I'm like, "I did." Yeah. I, I will tell you, I took a little uh, sneak peek at our weekly traffic, and that story from a month ago will will likely be in our our top ten stories of the week. And I will tell you, well, that's encouraging. I, but, I, but I will tell you though that you know, for for listeners, having a story from a month ago be in the weekly top ten is not super typical. Uh, something unusual has to happen, and uh, I can't apparently being one month ahead of the curve when it comes to ethics violations is uh, exactly the secret sauce that you need to have yeah. an old story start popping again. Yeah, courtroom orgies. It's uh, you know you would think that alone would get a lot of people reading our sto- that story. Yeah, I mean the way I phrased it because I I write for a legal it, that that might be one of the problems. I write for more legally savvy off uh, audience than uh, NBC. NBC sure. just talked sure. about threesomes, and I made the point that it was recreational impleter. Um, don't yeah. like don't like the Rule Fourteen jokes. Uh, yeah, it's fine. I mean, they're funny. I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. I totally get it. It's a pretty funny joke. Yeah. See, that just is coming across incredibly condescending. Like, you don't think it's funny? I come across condescending? Yeah. That's, yeah. (laughs) No, it is funny. It is funny. But you're also right that I think it's a niche joke. Yeah. Fair enough. Anyway. Anyway. Well, cool. Cool, cool. So, with all that said, uh, I guess this brings us to the end of another episode I wish I had like a, a like a sound effect for like some wah, sad wah. some sad notes or something oh, like that like, like a wah, you know, wah. no no like a like a really melancholy ballad. Sort I've of pretty much tapped out my list of sound effects that I can do. I wasn't asking you to do them. 
trust that that was never on the table. I do, and I don't have a melancholy ballad sort of thing. I gotta, I gotta update it. I mean, if not, why not? Yeah, I guess. Anyway, so with all that said, uh, thanks everybody for listening. You should be subscribed to the show and deliver some reviews to it. Not just give it the little stars, which I we appreciate. Don't get us wrong, but writing some comments about it, just the mere act of putting words there helps helps out because the powers that be say if someone thought enough to write some words, then that means they really mean it, and it pushes it up the ratings uh, scale. Uh, you should be reading above the law. That goes without saying. You should follow us. I'm at Joseph Patrice. She's at Catherine One. You should follow above the law. It's at ATL blog. Uh, You should be listening to not only this show, but The Jabot, which is Catherine's podcast that she referenced, and the other offerings of the Legal Talk Network, which are too numerous to mention. And you should... Is there anything else that I always say? I think that's everything. You know, it's amazing how years into this show, I have not figured out exactly how many of those things I say. Anyway. Well, you know, kind of... Fly by the seat of your pants, huh? I agree. And, of course, thank you to Logical for sponsoring the, you know, not only the show and providing a great e-discovery project, but sponsoring my effort to come up with as many pet puns as possible. Yep. Thanks a lot for that. (laughs) If you'd like more information about what you've heard today please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.